right, let's talk about cultural consequences of connectivity today. Um, this is part of Unit 2, Networks of Exchange, and this is Topic 2.5. And um, let's jump in. Expansion of religion in cities, a culture clash. One of the most significant influences on cultural interaction and diffusion has been the expansion of empires and the intentional diffusion of religion. Keep in mind, when we say intentional diffusion of religion, we mean methods like missionary work or religious warfare. This is opposed to the natural spread of religious ideas that occurs when people come into contact with each other, such as over trade routes. Along the Silk Roads, Indian Ocean, and Trans-Saharan, Islam, Christianity, and Buddhism all spread. Into Africa came Islam, which began, began to dominate Northern African cultures. With this pilgrimage, uh, with this came pilgrimages to Mecca, most famous being Mansa Musa, though Ibn Battuta began his journeys for the same reason. More on him in a few minutes. To China came Buddhism, where it was blended with Taoism. This syncretism, there's an important word again, this syncretism resulted in Zen Buddhism, where Taoist ideas about nature became a bigger part of Buddhism. Then Buddhism, Taoism, and Confucianism blended and spread to Japan and Korea, where it was known as Neo-Confucianism. Neo just means new, okay? So you see these blendings and new religious ideas coming from them. That is the definition of syncretism. Interaction among and within civilizations occurred during this period in history for many reasons other than trade or conquest. As populations grew, people needed more room to spread out. This led to huge movements of people, such as Germanic tribes moving into southern Europe and small European towns and manors becoming more crowded. With this, many individuals moved into cities, in particular the population of the Byzantine capital of Constantinople, a center of trade, exploded during this time period. Islam's capital became Baghdad, another center of trade. On the Silk Roads, the Mongols built a city at Samarkand. The Trans-Saharan had Timbuktu, a center of trade and education for Mali. Even the Aztecs had their capital city at Tenochtitlan. People left their homes to move to these cities, leading to cultural diffusion as the inhabitants brought their different cultures into these large cities. So again, diffusion being the most important thing. The one thing to look at with all these cities is um, the central reason why all these cities existed, which was they were centers of trade. If you look at Constantinople, it was considered the end of the Silk Road or the beginning, depending on which direction you're going. Uh, Baghdad was kind of a branch off of the Silk Roads. Um, Samarkand was on the Silk Roads. Um, Timbuktu was on the Trans-Saharan, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. All right. Two notable travelers. Marco Polo, and no, it's not just a game you play in the pool. He was a merchant from Venice, Italy. In 1271, he traveled from Europe to China via primarily land, crossing the Pamir Mountains of the Himalayas, only to be faced with the crossing of uh, the Taklamakan Desert, which is translated as the place of no return. Sounds really nice. Once he arrived in China, he befriended Kublai Khan, as the Mongols controlled China at this time as the Yuan Dynasty. Marco stayed 17 years in China, only able to leave when he agreed to escort a daughter of Kublai Khan to be married in Persia. His return trip was primarily by sea as he traveled the Indian Ocean, sur uh, surviving monsoons. Once back in Italy in 1295, he was captured in a war and imprisoned, which is where he wrote his book about his travels. Though he was not the first European to reach China, he was the first to leave a detailed description of his experience. Through this, Europeans were given a clear picture of Asian geography 
and ethnic customs. His book was also the first Western record of porcelain, coal, gunpowder, and paper money. Christopher Columbus had his own copy of Polo's book. Finally, the difficulties of traveling between Europe and Asia that Polo's book highlighted led Europeans to begin to explore the ideas, idea of an easier route to China. Okay, here's your connection there. This whole idea of finding an easier route to China, you've heard of this guy named Christopher Columbus who was mentioned there, and all these other Europeans that will begin to travel um, in, in and around you know, the late 1400s uh, into the 1500s. They were all looking for an easier route to China, and this all started with Marco Polo, so make sure you have that connection in mind, okay? Islamic traveler Ibn Battuta experienced unbelievable adventures in his travels from 1325 to 1354, originally leaving Morocco in northern Africa to go on his Hajj or pilgrimage to Mecca at the age of 21. Battuta continued his travels for 30 years, keeping a detailed journal. It took Ibn Battuta about eight months to get to Mecca, but then he decided to continue traveling. He went to Iraq, Persia, the Arabian Peninsula, and East Africa. He would often circle back to Mecca and then move out again. He headed to Europe, going to the Black Sea in the Byzantine capital of Constantinople, then out to Central Asia, India, Southeast Asia, and China. Much of this travel was safe as the Mongols controlled almost all of this area during the Pax Mongolica, or the Mongol Peace. Ibn Battuta's biggest enemy was the Black Death, which raged during much of his travels. In 1349, and seven wives later, Ibn Battuta returned home to Morocco, finding out his father had died 15 years earlier and his mom a few months earlier. In 1349 to 1354, Ibn Battuta made one last journey to Spain in Europe and Mali in sub-Saharan Africa. Beginning in 1354, Ibn Battuta recorded his travels to Afro-Eurasia and gave vivid detail of these continents at this time. He is considered the greatest of all of the travelers, having covered more than twice the amount of Marco Polo or Chinese Admiral Zhang He, who we'll get to a little bit later. Uh, as Marco Polo's book led Europeans to discover more about Asia, Ibn Battuta's led the Islamic world to gain knowledge of Afro-Eurasia and how Islamic practices vary from place to place. We'll talk about that uh, when we chat about Ibn Battuta in class. Finally, technology and other innovations. Interaction led to innovation. Expanding trade and empires led to expanding interactions. All of this led to increased wealth, frequent cultural diffusion and borrowing, and the development of new ideas. Many of these innovations came from Eastern societies like China and India and filtered through the Islamic world. By 1450, most of these new ideas had made their way back to Europe following the Crusaders, merchants, and missionaries. All right, so filtered through the Islamic world are the ones on the left, like things like paper. They didn't invent paper, it came from China, but it was filtered through Islam to Europe. Universities, the astrolabe, algebra, guns, Latin sale, which is really important. That sale will end up helping out Europeans very quickly. And from China, directly came gunpowder cannons, movable type paper currency, porcelain cotton sales, and the magnetic cups. Okay, that is it for the cultural consequences, make sure you go through the video and the seven questions that are at the bottom, make sure that you know those.